Starcourt Study Hall episodes contain spoilers for all seasons of Stranger Things. Episodes may also contain graphic content and language not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The views and opinions expressed are those of the hosts unless otherwise stated, and all content and characters are property of Netflix and the Duffer Brothers. I'm Marina. And I'm Amanda. And And this this is Starcourt Study Hall. Hall. you're all in for a real treat today (laughs) i i hope that's true (laughs) today on starcourt study hall Mm -hmm. amanda i'm sorry i'm sorry dr amanda oh my goodness phd i wish is going to teach us all about the many worlds interpretation I am, I think. (laughs) Yeah, I'm pretty excited about getting into this. I did a good amount of research on the many worlds interpretation, but I would like to start this episode out by just reiterating that Marina and I are just girls who Google. We just Google things. I have no formal science education background at all. I majored in English in college, got a master's in a, in a, in a liberal art. Um, so a liberal art. Yes, just one <laughs> liberal art. Um, so I, I, yeah, I'm not a scientist. I'd like to just really start out strong by reminding you all of that. So well, well, I'm ready, well, Doc. I'm, oh, God. Okay. Teach me. I'm ready. All right. So Teach me like I'm 11. Oh, God. So let's get into it. So first of all, I just want to, in case you listeners out there were unaware of why we were talking about the many worlds interpretation, um, if you listened to our episode last week, it was the flea and the acrobat that we went over. And in that episode, Mr. Clark, the kid's science teacher, talks about the many worlds interpretation when they are asking him about traversing to different dimensions. Now, he does not get into the many worlds interpretation when they ask him about it, but we're going to get into it today. Yay. <laughs> so let's start out with a definition of the many worlds interpretation. So this is a quote from the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy. The many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics holds that there are many worlds which exist in parallel at the same space and time as our own. Essentially, the many worlds interpretation is the concept that there is an infinite number of alternate universes, all of which are just as objectively real as ours and the one that we perceive. So, all right. wow, here we go. We're, <laughs> we're truly heading on a curiosity voyage today. <laughs> I am aboard. <laughs> so let's get into a little background of this theory and a little bit of history. Now, again... There's going to be some words in here that hopefully mean what I think they mean. So (laughs) if any of you out there are physicists who are more familiar with this than we are, just turn this off so your ears don't bleed. Yeah, this is going to be rough, Um, but I'm excited. No, it's going to be great. Okay. Yes. So before we can get into the many worlds theory, we need to understand the Copenhagen interpretation. So the Copenhagen interpretation is... It was, and kind of still is, the common knowledge of how our universe and reality works. So this interpretation explains that anytime the universe reaches a crossroads, so we reach a a place where there could be multiple outcomes, 
Before the event that happens is perceived, all possible outcomes are just as real as any other, but the event that we perceive or observe is the only event in reality that occurs. Physicists refer to this as a waveform collapse. Okay, so wait, let's just, let me just, okay. (laughs) So essentially, I am making a sandwich. Right. Okay, and I can choose between rye bread or wheat bread, okay? Yes. At the time before I make the choice, both realities of rye and wheat are true, right? Yep, they are both true. Okay. It's not until I make the decision, though, that the waveform of the rye, if I select the wheat, collapses? Yep, so that waveform collapsed, it is no more, and the reality that you perceive that you have chosen wheat bread is the only one that exists, according to Copenhagen. Okay, okay, I got it. So as we make choices, different, like, realities split off from these choices. Yes, but the other ones are left behind. There is nothing else. Time is linear in one little line, much okay. much like the acrobat's tightrope. Yes. Okay, got it. Yes. And a, a side note on this um, in relation to Stranger Things, this interpretation does have to do with Planck's constant, which is something that we uh, <laughs> understand in, well, not understand, but something we hear about in season three. I do not understand Planck's constant, and <laughs> I won't pretend that I do, but I will just tell you that it is connected. Okay. It's all right. just the never-ending story. That's what yep. Planck's constant is. Wow, it kind of is. Um, oh, all right. Oh, boy. So, anyway, Schrodinger, Erwin Schrodinger, who I'm sure whose name you've heard, and Hugh Everett the person who created the Many Worlds interpretation, they took issue with this. They were like, I don't get it. Why should the waveform collapse just because it's observed, right? So let's think about Schrodinger's cat thought experiment. And if you're not familiar, here's what it is. So in this thought experiment... Wait. Okay. Does the waveform collapse upon accepting... Which which waveform collapses? The choice that you make or the choice that you don't make? The choice you don't make. Okay. So if I choose the rye bread, the wheat collapses. Yes. The wheat has collapsed. Okay. And what you're saying now is that Schrodinger and Everett were like, why does any waveform have to collapse at all? Yep. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> in Schrodinger's experiment, his thought experiment, there's a cat... In an enclosed box. There's no windows in this box. We can't see into it. But we do know that inside the box, there is a vial of poison that could be broken at any time, Mm -hmm. kind of at random. Um, So that means that it is highly possible that the cat could be alive or dead inside the box. We don't know. But Schrodinger is arguing that it is both dead and alive until a force acts upon it. So the force being uh, this vial of poison that could break or not break. And then it would create the outcome that we perceive once we are able to see whether the cat is dead or alive. So while the cat's in the box, we don't know if the cat is dead or alive. Right. Okay. Which we don't. Makes sense. We do not. So Schrodinger's big question was, what causes this? What causes the outcome that we actually see and perceive? So Schrodinger and later Everett, they argued that it was kind of naive of us to think that our reality is completely dictated by observation. What is an observer? What does it mean to observe an event in a philosophical sense? What does it mean to observe? Now, and and the other question is, how does the waveform know it's being observed? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, I'm breaking Marina's brain already. I haven't even done anything. (laughs) Okay, so... Essentially, he's saying, how do we define observation? Is it looking at something, right? Could it, how do we, how are we sensing what's happening? 
Yeah, pretty much. Like, and more in like a philosophical sense, um, he asked this question because the Copenhagen interpretation is like, yep, like our reality just is what we perceive and that's it. But gotcha. They didn't really vibe with that interpretation because they were like, well, why does the universe care whether we're looking at it or not? <laughs> I love it. Okay, I get it. I'm following. I love it. Okay. So Copenhagen was like, you observe something and that creates reality. Yes. Schrodinger and Everett were like, no, no, not nah, fam. We don't like Who's that. Who's to say? We don't like that at all. No. Nope. Okay. What makes the unobserved less reality? Yes. Okay. You got right. it. <laughs> See, you are Dr. Amanda. Here I go. PhD physicist. <laughs> oh, God. Emeritus. <laughs> so, in the many worlds interpretation of this cat thought experiment, it largely agrees with what Schrodinger said. All of the possibilities that could happen actually happened. In our tiny mortal brains, there is only one... That's- one outcome so cool right i love this this means there were so many more possibilities to my life right (laughs) so in our in our yeah we we only perceive the one outcome what is happening in our universe what we can perceive but according to both schrodinger and everett every possible outcome of every decision point in the universe those outcomes are real they really happen like mr clark says in that one scene yeah there's even universes out there where none of this stuff ever happens and yeah he's right that's what he's talking about. Okay. Marina, so is that... <laughs> she's just looking into the distance and scratching her head. <laughs> so where I'm... Go- and you can tell me if we're going to talk about this, but... And you could tell me to please stop asking questions. <laughs> but what I'm going to say is, is the implication still then with this that humans have free will? You know, I didn't really get into that, but we can definitely talk about that. Uh, okay. I we'll kind of love that, that for now. Yeah, I kind of love that. Um, we're going to table that for sure. Okay, um, tabled. Yes, tabled. So, in 1952, Schrodinger presented this concept that we are not, that they're not just possibilities. Everything that we, that we consider to be possibilities, they're not just possibilities, they're real outcomes, and they exist Mm -hmm. in universes that we know nothing about. Okay, so somebody, somebody made the sandwich with the rye bread. Yep. You did. An an alt, I did. Somewhere else. An an alternate me (laughs) picked the rye bread. Yes. And both of those me's exist just as much as the all the other me's yep. making all the other choices. Okay, gotcha. This is infinite. This is a lot of me's. It's a lot. There's a lot of us. What do we do when there's twins in the world and triplets? How many how many of oh those are there? There's like triple of those. <laughs> I love it. Okay. This is, so this the, is the why the, the why the rye sandwich marina is just as valid as the wheat sandwich. Yes, marina. yes, she is valid. Okay. So you. yeah, after Schrodinger presented on this concept, everyone was just like, okay. <laughs> Like, what do you want us to do with this? You know that that meme, everybody? Please yeah. <laughs> please picture the okay meme with Waka Flocka Flame. And that is what I've put in our notes document to okay. react to Schrodinger's presentation. So, so people did not receive this. No, they did not. It's not that they even received it poorly. They just didn't. They, they just, just simply did not receive it. They just ignored <laughs> it pretty much. They got the the bounce back when the email sends to a broken address. <laughs> yes. Your email has not been received. <laughs> yes. That That's kind of what happened. Um, okay. So back in America, Hugh Everett was also working on this. Apparently he was unaware of Schrodinger's interpretation now i have no idea if that's true but i read it in an mit article i did not just read that on wikipedia so i'm pretty sure that is true um but i'm not entirely sure how that's possible but anyway i digress (laughs) so he was kind of thinking about this waveform collapse thing too and so he started thinking about his own interpretation so in his version 
which would become a many worlds interpretation. So it's Hugh. Hugh is the the many worlds. Yep. Founder dude. Hugh. Yes. Okay. So in not Schrodinger, he's just him and his cat. Yes, he's just the cat guy. I mean, he did okay. he did a lot of other stuff, but in right. in so, this, yeah, he's the cat. Okay. So in in Hugh Everett's version, the universe, when presented with a, I'm going to call it decision point, it would split, much like tree branches. So that right. that means time and space were not linear, but existed mm-hmm. far beyond what we as mere mortals conceptualized. Just again <clears throat> for context, the main understanding of reality and waveform collapsing and all that was the Copenhagen interpretation that we talked about earlier. So yeah, he was just kind of toying around with this idea. So he started developing this idea a little further in 1955 as a doctoral student at Princeton. Hmm, Yeah. Uh, He published his research in 57 after encouragement from his PhD supervisor, John, wait for it, Wheeler. Is Wait For It his middle name? Yes, John Wait For It Wheeler. Yes, that is his <laughs> his God given name. I'm sorry, and I know I've said this before, but nothing is an accident. I agree. There's no way that Wheeler just happened to end up in Stranger Things by accident. John Wait For It Wheeler. Yep, that's his middle name. <laughs> so so he published this research in 1957. So Everett put this idea out there. He published his research, and then he just bounced he was like okay well there's the information bye-bye um and then he started working at the pentagon and i will quote exactly what i wrote in my notes nobody really gave a toot about mwi nobody really cared about his research um until it was kind of brought back to life in the 60s and began to be further dissected and beefed up so this research was being done by john dewitt at the university of north carolina and he was suggesting that Many Worlds was legit. It was it was a quality interpretation. So yeah, he started. I like it. Right. He started kind of expanding yeah. <laughs> on this idea, and after that, John Wheeler. I'm sorry, John Wait for it, Wheeler. Um, <laughs> I like that. He saw kind of the way that this idea was expanding and stuff, and he was just like, "I'm a head out. This is breaking my brain. Uh, this is too much." And I pulled a direct quote from John Wheeler uh, because I found it to be a mood. He said, I have reluctantly had to give up my support of that point of view in the end because I am afraid it carries too great a load of metaphysical baggage. Mood. Okay. (laughs) In Wheeler's defense, what is it? Murphy's Law or Occam's Razor? Which one is it? It's Occam's Razor and we're actually going to talk about Occam's Razor. (laughs) Okay, yep. all right. We needed to talk about Occam and his razor. Yeah. Because he's this, Wheeler is onto something with this oh, is too, yeah. too complicated. Right, right. So yeah, we're going to get to Occam, Occam's razor for sure because this okay. is very complex. Okay. When we had a perfect, Settle down. We had a perfectly good interpretation. <laughs> we had reality, you make the sandwich, right. that's the sandwich. The You're end. the marina, you made the sandwich, and now we got more marinas making other sandwiches. Yeah. There's too many marinas making sandwiches. <laughs> I agree. I there agree. You go. I also believe that there are too many Spider-Men in this world. Imagine how many other Spider-Men are out there. I haven't even watched that Neither. movie, and I get frustrated by the concept. I, I can't. There's too many I'm like, too many universes are colliding here. It's like when when they put like the Powerpuff Girls on Courage the Cowardly no. Dog. Like, stop. This is a crossover we didn't need. Yes. Anyway. All of all of this to say, John Wheeler was onto something here. So yeah. 
Then, in the 70s, a physicist named David Deutsch in Oxford, or at Oxford, I guess, began to further bolster Schrodinger and Everett's work with the help of Bryce DeWitt, although... As mentioned in the MIT article I read, somehow these people were still unaware of Schrodinger's work. I don't understand how that's possible. To me, though, that in and of itself, the fact that this was this type of research and theorizing was happening parallel but unknown to each other, somehow that makes it feel more right. legit. Yeah, absolutely. Because this was it was like they were pulling it out of thin air. It wasn't like right. an idea they were building upon. Yeah. So I have no clue how that is possible. I mean, I know it was like, you know, the 60s and 70s, but I don't really get how that was possible. But anyway, then in 1977, uh, the physicist David Deutsch, he organized a conference at which Hugh Everett presented his ideas to his largest audience ever. And I do believe that was the last time he presented his research. Maybe the first and last time, actually, because he was not very, like, forthcoming with his research. I don't know why. I would like to just make a side note that Mr. Clark was definitely at this conference. <laughs> right? He, what year was it? 1977. He was totally there. I'm sure he totally was. Yeah, yeah. He was there. Um, so, yeah, from there, uh, David Deutsch kind of took over, and he's continuing to work on quantum mechanics and, and physics um, ever since Everett's death in 1982. So that's kind of the, the whole background of the interpretation and kind of where it got its start and uh, who were the big players here. All right, so let's move on to criticisms of this theory because there's a few. Okay. <laughs> so if I'm happy with all the sandwiches, but if we got to criticize it, that's fine. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't want to criticize it. I, I want to believe Hugh Everett. I love thinking about this stuff, but it's also kind of terrifying. It is. I just, I did it. Yeah, I'm reading, I'm like trying to finish up a book and you know about it, but it, it just so happened that I was reading this book last week and it just was all about this and the, the, the outcome is absolutely horrifying oh God. of what happens. Great. But anyway. Okay. So like we mentioned, the Copenhagen interpretation, I mean, it's not necessarily a criticism, but it's the, the biggest kind of opposition to the many worlds interpretation so like we said this is the common knowledge of how reality and waveforms all operate i would think most people today whether they know it or not understand the world based on the copenhagen interpretation make a choice and that's the choice yep. and there's no other marinas making choices right most people okay you know think that way i would assume <clears throat> another prominent criticism of many worlds interpretation and the surrounding theories is that reality is highly subjective. Some people think of reality as potential and possibility, and some people view it as perception, so based on your your five senses. So this is where it starts to get a little bit philosophical, more so than physics, just because it's it's about the nature of reality. How can we be sure that we can trust our senses to tell us what reality is? So yeah, that it gets into a lot. How does mental illness factor into that as well? That is a right. That is a great question. What about question. somebody who perceives reality and they're mentally ill? That is an excellent point, and I think that is also a, a valid criticism. Well, m more a valid criticism of the Copenhagen interpretation, I would think, because the Copenhagen interpretation is like, yep, what you perceive is real. I mean, it's more right. it's more complicated than that, of course, but it, yeah. Um, so okay. yeah, so that's another um, criticism is that reality is kind of subjective. When you say view it as potential, what do you mean? So, like, reality can be viewed as what we, th like, 
I mean, basically, like, the many worlds interpretation. So, like, we're we're arguing in the many worlds interpretation that all of these things that potentially could happen actually did happen and they're real. But some people view it as, nope, the only thing that is real is what's gotcha. in front of you. Um, okay. So, like we mentioned a little earlier, we want to talk about Occam's Razor a little bit. So, if you haven't studied philosophy at all, and you haven't heard of Occam's Razor, it's basically a principle in philosophy that states that the most simple explanation is the one that's most likely to be true. In, in very simple terms, that's kind of what Occam's Razor yeah. dictates. <clears throat> so, in a more, like, literal sense, as it, as it pertains to the many worlds interpretation, it also states that the explanation with the fewest number of, quote, entities, so in this case, universes or outcomes is the most likely to be true, and that these entities should not be created to explain things unless necessary. So in this case, that is questionable. Occam's razor is basically like, okay, we have a reality, we're good, Copenhagen explained it, why do we need to delve into this more? But we did, and so that kind of does violate the Occam's razor principle. Okay, I get it. It's like kind of collapsing on itself, like, I I think I see what you're saying, so... The, the simple fact that we even started to investigate the many worlds interpretation is against Occam's razor. Right. Like, Occam okay. would be like, we're good. Like, we we got it figured out. I don't know why we need to uh, figure this out more. Right. But then we attempted to, therefore, Occam's razor is kind of void. Yes. It's already been okay. violated. And the, inter- okay. the interpretation itself also violates Occam's razor because it's like, hey, we have a reality, but here's a million more. Yes. Okay. Got it. Yes. Good. A plus. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, there's a lot of other criticisms of many worlds interpretation, but as I mentioned, I have never taken a physics <laughs> class, and I only know what, like, 20% of the words mean in these criticisms, um, so I won't continue to make a fool of myself um, talking about stuff that I do not understand. I don't, I don't, this is great. I know. I think I'm doing okay, right? I get it. <laughs> okay. That's good. Does everybody get it? <laughs> I, yeah, I want I want people to understand this because I'm coming from a place where if I listen to like an actual scientist explain this, my brain would melt into a puddle. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Hopefully this is a bit more digestible. So the last and maybe most damaging criticism of many worlds is that it is impossible to say whether it's true or not because it is unfortunately currently impossible to test for evidence of a universe that we cannot witness not in the book i read oh boy the book i read by the way is dark matter by blake crouch just for those of you who that sounds very good might be curious but okay so there is we can't prove this no it's impossible to we also can't disprove it. right so and he manages it in the book to prove it Ooh, okay i'm i'm intrigued yeah (laughs) so there is some math and research that does support the many worlds interpretation but It can't be fully proven or debunked at this time because, again, we are unable to traverse universes. Darn. (laughs) So I honestly, personally, I'm not sure if I want to know. Something this existential kind of frightens me. I I get that. I don't like the the implication that there's like like an evil version of me in some universe or like, I don't know. (laughs) It's very weird. Yeah, I can take this many places as well. Yeah, it's it, you can sort of go down a dark hole. Yeah, yeah. With this, what did that me do? <laughs> what did that other person do who impacts me? And like, how did what they? Yeah, it can go really far. And that being said, I'd like to to kind of bring back our table discussion of free will, because 
I didn't talk about it here, but there was some mention of determinism, the philosophical principle of determinism kind of aligning with the many worlds interpretation in a way, because determinism would would argue that everything that's going to happen has been predetermined. Mm. Um, The universe already knows what's going to happen and it's it's happening whether you like it or not. So that would argue that in many worlds, there's not that much free will. That's so cozy, though. Right? In a way. Isn't that like the coziest? (laughs) Like, this yeah. happened, it's what is happening, you couldn't have done anything to make it not happen. Right, in a way. That's so like, cozy. Yeah, determinism is kind of nice. Like, you're like, You don't well, take any responsibility for anything. Yeah. I, it was all going to happen anyway. I do like that, you know? It's all, hmm. it's all just there for you, and, and you're just on the ride. Sounds like a really passive way to live life. Honestly. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's comforting in a way, but also, like, No. <laughs> Yeah, no. That's, I don't think anxiety allows for that either. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> like, sometimes, uh, like, it's kind of nice to pretend you're like a sim, just like being being controlled, sure. you know? Just, Let's go with that. It helps sometimes. Yeah. Uh, so, the big question on all of our minds is how does this connect to Stranger Things? So, the obvious connection here is the Upside Down, right? So, the Upside Down yes. is a dimension, a universe... We don't really know. But it is interesting when you think of the upside down as the result of a different choice. Yes. That somebody made along the way. Yes. This does have implications. So It does. Which we will get to a little bit. So we mentioned earlier the flea and the acrobat, the episode that we talked about last week. This is the most prominent connection, of course, to the many worlds interpretation. So the flea in this scenario would be able to traverse across the different branches. Which I will also get to, but we're, we're like we'll talk about how one would traverse to these different branches and what the branches are, etc. But in season one, we see this gate be opened, and then we learn a little more about the upside down in season four. So in one, the upside down seems to be like a dark and eroded reflection of Hawkins, essentially. But then but existing on the same timeline, right? from what we we think right from what we knew in season one yeah yes and then in season four we do learn a bit more about the upside down such as it being trapped in 1983 which is weird which we still don't totally understand but hopefully we'll get there but but in season four when we first see what we believe to be the upside down when henry is banished in 1979 it looks totally different so could this be due to different decisions and changing outcomes or could it be a different place entirely? Which begs the question, how many worlds are there? <laughs> um, 11. Ooh. Imagine if each... Or 20. Yeah, I was going to say... If we go by the dice roll, right? Oh, yeah. Or if each of the kids had their own. Imagine. Aww. They had their own little universes. That's so sweet. I know. It's kind of cute. Also not. Okay. If they all look like that. No, yeah. Okay, so what you're saying is... When Henry is banished and we see him floating into the void at the end of volume one of season four, right? We yep. get that visual of him like <laughs> flailing, <laughs> flailing through the abyss of volcanic ash and brimstone with the Demogorgon like crawling up the mountain. Yes. Right. It doesn't look like how we know the upside down to look by the time Will gets taken. Mm-hmm. Okay. So are we insisting or are we suggesting that? 
that's a completely different place than the upside down that we see? I honestly don't know. I, I just put this out there because I was just wondering about it. Um, my, okay. my, my fiance implied this when we first watched it. He was like, I wonder if this is like a different place entirely. That was not a thought. How did the Demogorgon yeah, get to Yeah, I don't know. Down. That was not really a thought I ever had, but I wanted to throw it in there in case okay. anyone else maybe thought that. But All right. Yeah. So another interesting point is about Elle's little watery mind void thing. In a special that aired on Netflix after season two, Bill Nye joined the kids and Mr. Clark, and the following was written in an article about it. Nye also brings up the possibility that there is some sort of nexus where all of the parallel universes meet. Is it possible that there's areas like this where the multiverses intersect? He asks, pointing to the diagram. Like a limbo. This region, which Matarazzo, uh, who plays Dustin, calls the void, is imagined in Stranger Th- the Stranger Things universe as the all-black dimension straddling the regular world and the upside-down that Eleven traverses. So mm. I felt like this could actually track with the logic of the show. It kind of seems like the Demogorgons and other upside-down creatures can venture into Elle's void, which would sort of make sense for it to be like a, a central hub for several different universes. Yeah, I li- I like that. And is it is the Im- I mean maybe the implication would then be in order to access this hub you would have to do so on some kind of telepathic yes, level. I guess so. That telekinetic level. That would be you'd have to be a flea. Okay, well 11 is not a flea. <laughs> but I guess metaphorically yes. she is. Metaphorically she's the flea. But so is Nancy. That's true. So is Will. They're all fleas. Anybody who gets to the upside down is a flea. Well, yeah, I guess so, right? Like in a way because yeah because uh hawkins lab has created the opening so yeah but i think that the flea analogy implies before the opening was made okay um so okay so before there was this massive amount of energy created to open this right like could could portal could l venture in there <clears throat> before it, the gate was created we don't okay i don't know but so we've yet to see if it's more of like the Copenhagen interpretation or many worlds as far as the mechanics of the Upside Down, so to speak. So did the Upside Down always exist? Did Elle make the Upside Down at some sort of decision point? Like, is this a a, a mm, branched off reality that could have existed? I hope we find out. You know, obviously they're not going to be like, wow, so the Upside Down is the Copenhagen interpretation. But, you know. But if... But Elk, I mean, I guess it would just depend then on what Hen- where Henry was, because Elk couldn't have made the Upside Down based on a decision point if Henry's already there. True. Well, I mean, like, when, right. when she banished Henry, like, was that... Oh, okay. Yeah, like, did she make it? Was it always there? Did she just open a portal? We don't know. Yeah. So I think the question that we're probably asking is, like, is the Upside Down a different branch of the tree? Yeah. Okay. Right. Like, is this something that was created at this junction... Uh, or was it there and did she just open a path to it? Got it. Got yes. it. Yes. So um, another thing that sort of connects to Stranger Things that I didn't mention in kind of like the overview of the Many Worlds interpretation is something called state vectors. So state vectors describe our known universe. It describes the flow of time, the events, our memories, even like the general physics of the universe um, would be considered a state vector and all are subject to change so like i can exist in two different state vectors like your sandwich analogy but we can never meet because these vectors do not 
connect. There's no way to connect them. So what the the whole Bill Nye thing was suggesting is the void would be that connection. Gotcha. Yeah. So it leaves us with a lot of questions, right, about the upside down. Like, are these reflection? Are there reflections of the Hawkins people? in the upside down somewhere will there be i hope not that sounds terrifying or somewhere else i don't know it's it feels to me i mean just based on like what we know about the upside down it feels more to me like since season four at least like less of a reflection it's not like reflecting because if it was reflecting perfectly then life would be there it would be a true like when I think of a parallel universe, I think of, like, a true parallel universe. Mm, like, truly parallel. Yeah, but, like, with the upside down, there's no people. Yeah. It's pretty much just the the backdrop, which is why I think when the, to- the whole time thing came into play in season four, it, it started to make it make more sense. Mm-hmm. Like It's like a snapshot. That's what I think. Yeah, or or it's a different time. It's a different... It's the... It's, it's something that happened to Hawkins. It's it's an outcome of something that happened to Hawkins. Yeah, there's there's theories out there that say that the Upside Down is a version of Hawkins in which a nuclear war occurred. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. But then why did it stop in time? Right. That's the big question. That is the big question, which I hope we do find out more in season five about the origins of the Upside Down. I'm a big fan of like backstory episodes um Mm -hmm. if anyone out there has ever watched lost across the sea is one of my favorite episodes even though it's like considered one of the more boring ones i love it because (laughs) we find out more about the island and stuff so i'm really hoping we get something like that for stranger things like i would love a whole episode just dedicated to like what is this place tell me give me some information what happened i want to know so bad yeah so yeah that's that's kind of all i got about the many worlds interpretation and sort of how it connects to stranger things and i just hope that we learn more in the coming seasons and that maybe it'll connect a little more to many worlds that was so fun that was fun i feel like i get it a woman in stem wow look at you go (laughs) You know, it's steam now. Oh, yeah. I forgot. Yeah. Look at us. That's, yeah. I think it makes sense, like, as I understand it. I can't say if I subscribe. Same. But <laughs> <laughs> I, on, I only don't subscribe, honestly, for, like, the, the existential implications that it would bring. I know. Like, that just scares me too much. I can't. It's uncomfortable. Yeah, it sure is. I don't like that. It's, it's like, it could be good or it could be really bad. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of what ifs here. No, thank yeah, you. Yeah, don't, don't hurt yourselves out there, everybody. Just Google it. <laughs> Just Google it. Because we are the girls who Google. We are. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening to our explanation of uh, the Many Worlds interpretation. I hope it made a little Dr. bit of Amanda, sense. Dr. Amanda, PhD, oh, emeritus. <laughs> so if there's any physicist out there or philosophers or anyone who understands this better who would like to uh, let us know anything we missed or just roast me maybe that's cool too but yeah let us but you wouldn't be roasted in another universe that's so true that's so true that makes me feel better maybe in another universe you are a physicist wow that would explain why i have no physics knowledge here (laughs) (laughs) all right well until next time all right stay strange stay strange to keep in touch and stay informed about upcoming Starcourt Study Hall episodes, follow us on Twitter at SSHpod and on Instagram at Starcourt Study Hall.
that's what she said. Um, All right. Just stick it in there. (laughs) I'm going to stick it in there. Just stick it in between this and the next part. That is also what she said. Okay. So (laughs) anyway, 